I, I know you have had certain experiences growing up on a plantation in the Mississippi Delta and so forth. And so when you read um, the book, um, you know, what kind of things or how accurate do you think the description is of suffering that black people encounter in America? Oh, I think the uh, book is spot on. Um, I, I mean, it speaks of black suffering is by design, it's perpetual, it's calculated. Um, and so even in the South, on the plantations, you know, there were systems in place uh, to to tell you that things were calculated. They know they knew how things were gonna go, uh, and they knew that they were gonna be to uh, the the disadvantage of, of black people. Uh, nothing uh, was ever done, um, you know, for us. Um, everything uh, that came to us, of course, we had to work for it. Um, we had to work much harder than anybody else. Uh, we had to work much longer. Um, I can just remember at my great-grandma's house, um, it was like the meeting place on the plantation. So when the workers gathered, they would gather at my great-grandma's house in the morning. Uh, and then in the evenings when they would come home, uh, they would do the same thing. And say, for example, if it were a time to vote, uh, then they made sure that the, the people got to work uh, before day, and then they made sure uh, they left home at dark, basically, which meant that the polls were already closed. So, so again, um, white people, it seems they had all the right cards, and, and we did not. Yeah. Wow. Um, you know, you were the first person that I really talked to in, in person that use the language of plantation. Plantation was always a kind of historical event uh, for me. I didn't think of it as uh, a kind of existing reality. But at the same time, you know, I know that, uh, that you kind of grew up in that, in that environment. And um, let me just point out also, you know, in the book, I try to argue that um, the consciousness of suffering escapes a lot of people, including black people. So, you know, my, I, I suggest or I argue or I post, postulate that um, black people are, to some extent, unconscious of our suffering. And white people could care less about it. But the other thing is, since the George Floyd incident, I mean, do you think that thesis still holds? I mean, I know, I mean, there have been other, you know, other kinds of uh, protests. Uh, people protested for quite a while during the death of Michael Brown and um, Eric Garner and other kinds of things. But the, the, um, the George Floyd uh, murder, um, I think, you know, maybe at least temporarily created a new sense of consciousness among uh, both blacks and whites. But the question is, I wanted to ask you your thoughts about that and whether you think that's really just a temporary passing phenomenon? Well, I'm hoping that it's um, not temporary because one of the things I think uh, for black people has been that as, as a rule, we've had a survival uh, mentality. And so basically we do what we need to do 
to survive. And some of us have hopes that, you know, we can come out of whatever it is that we are in. And I think that is that is sort of where we are uh, now with what has happened um, with this Black Lives Matter uh, situation. Um, there, there seems to be a group that's saying, no, we don't want to just survive. We want to thrive. And so if we're gonna if we're gonna thrive, we have to dismantle some things. And even now, people are on both sides of the track. You know, why can't we just uh, go as things are uh, versus upsetting everything? And we're not gonna ever get better unless we upset the status quo. I mean, if things are gonna change, something has to be overturned. And so I think right now um, we're on the precipice of what could be that real change but we just have to try to keep the momentum going yeah yeah no i agree with you but the question is uh from a practical perspective how do you think that happens or how do we do that from a what kind of perspective practical practical how do we from a practical perspective yeah, how do we how do we do that um well we just we have to keep grinding um if if it's if the issue right now is um, police brutality cannot continue to happen, um, a, a whole lot of the systemic things that have happened in the past cannot continue to happen. So if we I think if we stay at the forefront as as we have been, um, every everything that we film we publicize, uh, we try to bring attention to it, um, we try to do things. In my in my estimation, as decently and in order as possible, because if we don't, um, the, the 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 white people who will participate in helping, you know, that gives them a reason not to. So that for that reason, I think we try to do um, things decently in order. But I, I do believe um, standing up for what's right and what we believe. And if that means we risk our lives, we risk our uh, resources, then I think that's what we do now because the the, the journey that's uh, behind or what the or that our foreparents um, uh, participated in, you know, they went through similar things in terms of losing lives, losing resources to get us to where we are today. And it's like now, I don't know if. Uh, Generation Z or, or what what is gonna be? Somebody has to put his or her life on the line. Yeah, and I think the more we do that collectively, um, the better we're gonna be. And again, I don't mind others helping us, but I think Black people have to be at the forefront of turning the tide. Yeah, um, you know I've been uh, involved in you know social action kinds of things pretty much all of my adult life. But I want to say, you know, that's a that's a tough, it's a tough journey. And, you know, our people, black people, you know, have been protesting for a long time. And I think that's one of the major vehicles we do have because because of slavery and other kinds of uh, mistreatment, you know, we, we, we're not that economically stable. We don't have the kinds of things that persons who have not been enslaved uh, would have. And so one of the few things we do have, you know, is our bodies to put out there to protest. 
And uh, I think we've seen that, you know, in recent um, in recent months that's, that's really happened where people have just gotten fed up. And then, you know, a lot of people say, you know, they didn't know this kind of thing. And I don't know what to believe about that because black suffering has been, you know, endemic to black life from the very beginning, from, from the 1619 uh, to today. As a matter of fact, even, even before we landed on these shores, because, you know, the Middle Passage was, uh, was a, a tough struggle and a tough journey filled with, all kinds of, filled with all kinds of suffering, and a lot of people just didn't make it. So, I mean, you know, that was an economic uh, project that, that uh, white capitalists had, bringing slaves from the shores of Africa to the shores of Virginia and South Carolina and other places, Mississippi and Georgia. So, um, so protest has been one of our key elements. I say this because, you know, I mean, black people are disproportionately poor, black people are disproportionately sick, black people are disproportionately um, affected by almost everything. And I was really impressed by the fact that, you know, this, this entire summer, uh, people have been protesting um, the injustices and the suffering that black people have had to endure. And they've sustained it to a large degree. So I'm encouraged by that. Yeah. yeah and, and, and suffering um, is difficult because it, it seems so natural to us. It's what we know. It's what we are baptized in. It's what we grow up in. And mm-hmm. so that I think that's why people... Um, don't really articulate uh, that this is a great problem for us or a great problem to us. One, because you you see no hope. Um, you, you there's 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 no signal that things are going to change, and so why stir things up? You know, I'm sort of comfortable uh, where I am. Yes, I'm suffering, but I'm comfortable where I am. So I, I just want to be okay where I am. I don't I don't want any. Um, new uncertainties. I don't want any new pain. I, I don't want any new trouble. I don't want anything new. I, I prefer um, to a large degree to stay where I am. Um, and that's that's the scary part um, that it does not appear to be much to motivate people to to change. And, and again, I guess because we can see it uh, but we don't have the right words for it. For example, when I was um, let's say seven, eight, nine, ten. <laughs> Through those years, I would travel from um, from my house, which was across town from my great grandma's house. And when I arrived, when I got across the bridge to the to to where the plantations would begin, I knew I was in a different world. And in that world, I carried on a particular way. And then when I crossed the bridge to go back home and I played with the children on my street, it was a different world. I lived in two, two worlds. In, in, in one way, I was, I was queen on the plantation because I came from across town. But on my street, I, pro- I probably was one of the poorest persons on that street. So my parents struggled to be on the street that we were on. And so I was able to see the dichotomy, and I was able to 
uh, even as a kid to think about what it meant and how I was going to uh, be in one place versus the other place. But mm. in some sense, I suffered in both places. Yeah. Because I, sh- I should have been able to be who I was, period. But I had to be a particular person or a certain person. I had to try to navigate that. And I think that's the same way um, black people have had to operate with with suffering. Yeah, you say you were six, seven, or eight. I mean, that's a real burden for a child. I, I was seven, eight, nine, and ten because we moved from the plantation, I think, when I was six. Oh, okay. And so I started to um, realize that I was living in two different worlds. So you had a new consciousness, so to speak. I, mean, I did. Just and, and it's nothing that I chose for myself. It's just It just happened that I lived those first six years on the plantation um, moved into a, a suburban area, I guess. And, but we went to my grandma's house on the plantation almost every day. Hmm. I see. Now, so, um, um, just talk briefly about how you think we can turn, um, you know, the arguments or the, 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 um, discussion in black suffering, how we can turn that into action? Uh, what can we do? Well, w- one of the things that I, I guess I'm a firm believer in um, for black people, if we're going to overcome, um, we cannot put all of our eggs in one basket. So we may be protesting, and I think that's great, but in terms of trying to build a better economic uh, economic base, then I think we have to work on that. Um, uh, in terms of what family means and uh, what family will do for each other, those kinds of things. What uh, um, what what church means? What the black church means for us and to us? I think all of these things have to um, come together. Our intellectuals have to do do their part to, um, you know, help us go in a direction, uh, that frees us. Um, but it, but it's a, it's a, it's a, it has to be a well-rounded effort. I don't, I don't think it's one thing. It is not going to be just protesting. It is not just going to be, um, getting the economic straight it, it's, it's going to take everything that it takes to make a community and I, I, I can't think of the guy I think it's Claude Alexander um, talks about um, building community um, and black folk building communities not neighborhoods we live in neighborhoods now not communities a community would consist of, of banking health care um, food and, and, and things of that nature um, we don't have that anymore uh, I mean, and there was a time, and when we did have those things, we were really thriving. And how do we get those things back now? You know, is anybody interested? Because I'm, I'm afraid that uh, uh, black people, as we move up, we move away. And so if we move away, there is no way to build that community. Yeah. So will we, will we come back to the inner cities and will we take um, what's there and put our practices uh, there, put our money there, uh, put all of our resources there to to build something that looks out for us. Because right now we're naked, we have nothing. Yeah. How do you think our allies can help us, though, deal with this? Um, you know, with this um, 
pandemic of of black suffering in a very real sense. Well, give give us give us the city of Richmond, um, the land, uh, the money. Um, I, we can we can do our own. Edu- we'll educate ourselves. We don't need. Uh, the education that they provided for us that, that pretty much keeps us less than. Yes, a few people rise, but again, the people who rise, they have, have no consciousness toward uh, what helps black people. They may have a consciousness toward what helps them, but not what will help us have a community. Yeah. If, if we go to white schools, we're, we're going to lose what it means to be a community. Because they're not going to, they're not going to, as a rule, they're not going to give us that. And so we've lost that to some degree. It seems to. We have, we yeah. have. But it's and a, I think that's the, the difficult part of integration and segregation. Like, were we better segregated? Yeah. Well, you know, one of our uh, uh, mutual friends pretty much makes that argument um, and, and so forth. But the, the other thing I wanted to. Um, to ask you, and this will kind of be the my last point, and that is that um, I've been thinking more and more about the role that fear plays in black life um, and how afraid I am, you know, for black people and for family members and that kind of thing. And so you're kind of like, I mean, you know, the, the slave master's um, job was to make black folks stand in fear. And I think to some degree, you know, that is, is continued today because I, I'm, you know, I, I, I've been thinking about this recently, how fearful I am of how um, easily um, white people, the police, the government, and so forth, can just destroy the black body, the black, black person. And, and, and I mean, and you never know about it. You, it's just, you could just walk out your door. And, or like in the case of Breonna Taylor, you don't even have to go outside. Um, well, you know, so. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And that, again, that's why the systemic evils have to be corrected. I, I was watching uh, uh, this white guy make uh well, basically, pull a, a black black guy over. He was a highway patrolman, and he had been um, asked to pull this particular black guy over because they were suspecting that uh, he was uh, doing drug trafficking. So they pull. They, so this guy gets on the interstate behind the black guy, pulls him over. Uh, he, he pulled him over, saying that he was speeding. So the black guy said, well, you know, I, didn't, I don't think I was speeding, but he didn't argue. He just wanted to go ahead and get his ticket and get out. So white high patrolman said, uh, well, do you mind if I search your car? And the black guy was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I mean, you really have no grounds to search my car. Now, again, the white guy has information that the black guy doesn't know that he has. But anyway, the black guy said, yes, I'll let you uh, uh, search my car. And the black ass, the white guy said, we'll search a car and then you'll be on your way. All right. So he is searching the man's car for about 30 minutes. He finds nothing. Then he calls for the dogs. The dogs come. They spend 30 minutes. I've never seen anything like it. They went through and through his car. 
uh, they didn't find anything. In about seven minutes, they had the guy on the ground. He was screaming, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. Um, make a long story short, he ended up having um, several ribs broken, a collapsed lung, um, and in the end, he had he ended up having some some kind of controlled substance on him, but it was not even enough to go to jail. And so, when it went to court, the judge ended up throwing it out because that search that they did was just unimaginable. And I'm saying this guy was just riding down the road, minding his own business, and things just go south because white people uh, thought he was doing something that he wasn't even doing. And and because it was in their in their mind that he was, they just they went beyond the call of duty to make him guilty, and he ended up not being guilty. Yeah. And and it's just it's 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 kind of that's I think that's the scary part, and that's why I think in our minds, um, to use the language of the day, that's why people want to stay in their lanes. You know, and that parallel to my great grandmother, who was not going to, she was not going to kick up anything. Whatever she thought she needed to do um, to keep us safe and to help us to survive, that's all she put forward. Yeah, but just think how much, how much that took, how much energy, and how 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 difficult that was. Because I'm sure, you know, like so many of us, she probably there were things that she wanted to say and do, and. And not, not, but but she also realized the impending risk of her doing anything, stepping out of her lane and stepping out of bounds, and and and, and how that would jeopardize yeah. your life. Yeah, and just let me give you this example. This is a uh, um, my grandmother was a by the book kind of person. She was, you know, this is a rule. This is how we operate, and unfortunately. She ended up having rules for us that she could not uh, um, enforce with white people. So for us, it was important. She used the language that you put a handle on her name. We were gonna either call her people were gonna call her Miss Lottie, or we were gonna call her Mama. We were gonna call. We, she was gonna have some title. But the neighbor's children behind my grandmother, my age, called her by her first name, and I was like, no way. If they don't call you by your first name, I mean, by your your last name, I'm not going to call them with a mister. I'm not going to do that either. And she said, oh, yeah, you are. And I said, no, I'm not, Mom. I'm not going to do that. And she said, yes, you are. And that was the rule for us. And so for me, it's like, um, what, what does that do to yourself if you have to shrink before white people? And in front of black people, you stand up, you you hold to whatever the rules are. And then when you get around white people, you don't, you have a different set of rules. Yeah. And I imagine it had to be tough for her because, again, she was a by the book kind of person. Yeah. So her core, she was, she was, she was uh, toying with her core beliefs to just exist. And I, to me, that'll make you schizophrenic. Yeah. It wasn't for just her existence, though. It was for yours. And, oh yeah, she and, was trying to save us and yeah. and show us how to navigate and show us how to uh, how to get along. Yeah, I mean that's uh, and I think that that is that's the story of Black life in a very real sense. I mean, it, and I'm saying even even today, you know, I have certain fears, 
even today, even though, you know, we have uh, followed the rules, uh, lived by the book and all of that, but people don't mm -hmm. even care about that. And exactly. these, these white folk could care less about that. And so every day that you wake up and step outside, you know, um, there, is, there is a kind of uh, risk that you take. And therefore, you know, I just have a certain fear. And I think anybody who has uh, children or has a family or whatever, uh, you know, uh, possesses that. Yeah. Um, just a matter of surviving in a very real sense. So this fear factor is is real, you know, and it's it's so evident in black life and it's so much a part of black suffering. Um, what would you say to people about why they should they should uh, read this book, purchase this book, or so forth? Uh, because I think it will give persons an opportunity um, to, to, to step back and to see that what you've been thinking, what you've been feeling as a black person is not, you're not isolated. There are so many others who feel exactly um, the way you feel. There, people are going through what you're going through. And I think if we could get on one accord about that, if, I mean, just to see that and to know that. So I think this book and any any other uh, films or anything that will highlight this is where we are. This is what we go through. Um, there's nothing wrong with us. Something is being done to us. And, and the, the, the bad part is it, because, because the, the ball is already in motion, we don't get a chance to see um, who's doing it to us. We just know something is being done to us. And I think the book is going to open that up. Uh, that there is a system that works against you when you are awake and when you are asleep. Yeah. And it's not imagined. Right. You're, you're, you're not crazy because I'm telling you on these jobs, white people have, will have you believe that you are crazy. Yeah. They, they will brainwash you to the point where you think, man, there's something wrong with me. I, I need to go get uh, this. But that's because we live in isolation from each other. And again, I think this book will help people see for themselves, okay, this is what this is. Now, if all of us can register this, then we can do something about it. Because unified, we can do something about it. As long as I'm by myself thinking that it's just me, um, you know, I'm, I'm having a hard time because I'm kicking uh, on my job, so maybe I should just stop, I should settle down, I should go with the flow. Um, I think this will motivate people um, to do something about our situation. So, you know, it can even help others who um, sit around and, and they've heard, heard stories that black people are lazy. We built a whole country. Yeah. And how dare you call us lazy? Yeah, it's part of the propaganda. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I and I, I think the book is going to uh, bring a, a, a sense of urgency to what's actually going on in the world right now. This book, by that title, Black Suffering, published by Fortress Press, available now on Amazon.